Welcome to Is It Philosophy? For thousands of years, philosophy has been the domain of the elite, a form of thought placed on a tall pedestal. Well, not anymore. I want to take it back to its roots, simply the love of wisdom. A guest will join me each episode as we try to apply critical thinking to a new topic. At the end, it will be up to you to decide. Is it philosophy? everybody thanks for joining me again for another episode i am really really excited that i finally found somebody to cover this topic with me uh, i'm joined by robert harris and we are talking about does white privilege exist and robert thank you so much for for doing this and as usual i want to give you kind of the first take on this what is your thoughts on this first off thanks matt for having me on great topic glad i'm here glad i'm able to speak to you about it so white privilege, it's it's been around for a long time. It never had that title until like the civil rights movement, I would say. It's mostly described as just the advantages that white people have an unequal or racially unequal society. So when we get down to it, it's business, jobs, education, government. It just it covers a wide range of kind of constructs that you don't necessarily that white people necessarily don't have to think about in the same way as black people do or minorities. That's kind of where I struggle with that. And I, I personally and I'm hoping my mind can be changed at the end of this, but I don't I don't see it. I don't I don't necessarily maybe it's because I'm too close to it. And that's what my wife keeps telling me because her and I have had this conversation repeatedly. And she has wholeheartedly that, oh, certainly yeah. white people have privilege. She's white, FYI. But she has wholeheartedly said that there is, it's definitely something there. I don't see it. Like the whole, I'm probably going to offend somebody and that's okay. But like the whole idea of there's no such thing as, as a white college, but there's black colleges. There's no such thing as, as television specifically for white people, but you've got BET. There's no scholarships specifically for white people, but there are for blacks. I don't know that I buy this idea of white privilege because there's so many more, if you're willing to take advantage of it, there's so many more opportunities for, for people in minorities to get further ahead in society just by simply taking advantage of everything out there for it. As a white male, I'm kind of screwed. I'm, I'm like the devil, if you will. If you look at it from where we're at now and haven't looked at it from the past, I guess I see exactly where you're coming from. So specifically HBCUs, historically, they were created as somewhat of a safe haven for African-Americans. And this stuff you can, you know, Google. HBCU was not just for education. I mean, they had medical aid, there were psychological and mental institutions for Black people that were struggling with some type of mental disability, learning disability, and they just kind of stuck around and became colleges, got accredited. Yeah, it's just there's a history behind a lot of these, I guess, leg ups that Black people have that were kind of forgotten. Yeah, scholarships, the average Black family couldn't afford college. And we're talking about a point in time where college was not as expensive as it was as it is now. Now college is freaking ridiculous. 
college is, is yeah. one of those things. Do I really want to go? Oh, like, yeah. No kidding. I know I'm smart enough, but do I really want to go? All that, the loans. But back then, Black families couldn't afford it. It was a luxury. And you had their white counterparts that it, it's, it's almost a culture. Like you finish high school and then you just go to college and you live your life and you start your young adult life. Instead, you know, Black people had to just join the workforce. All those things you named, they have like an, a historical context to it on why on where it started. But the fact that it's still here, I see how how you look at it. Is that more of a, a comment on society and, and where we have come that we still need that? Or I guess the lack of how far we've, we've come as a society? Or is it something that, like, for instance, I was watching a Netflix documentary or a show by a hip hop artist. I want to say it was Big Boy. I think was the guy's name. My wife showed me it. And he was talking about how in the white community, a dollar stays in the community for, I forget what it was, like a month or a week or something like that. And in the Asian communities and every other community, it, it stayed within the community for a pretty extended period of time. But in, in the black community, he said a, a dollar will typically stay within the black community for, I think he said like 13 minutes, which is mind boggling to me. Is Is that why all of these these black colleges and scholarships and and entertainment and all of this stuff has to be there because there's no way really for the struggle that the black community has to maintain any sort of interior life i don't know any other way to put it i, I know where i'm going with the, the question i hope it makes sense to you but is is that why all of that stuff is still needed today because everything is so centralized i guess in white communities i hate to say it that way but every everything is owned and managed by by white people i know exactly what documentary you're watching that was killer mike and uh that episode specifically he was you know like you say he was talking about supporting black businesses and i think that his take on well not his take it was it was all facts i mean this is like i said it's stuff you can google his the perspective he was showing was that black people don't have enough representation, ownership, businesses in their in their own neighborhoods that they live in, where this money actually stays in it and and helps it grow. You can have like I'm from I'm from Georgia. I uh I was raised I was born in Riverdale, raised in Jonesboro, which is right down the street. Riverdale has a lot of mom and pop stores. Black-owned mom-and-pop stores, right? As in Jonesboro is struggling with the mom-and-pop stores. But then if I go to, uh, let's see, uh, Alpharetta or Johns Creek, mom-and-pop is just normal. Uh, you can have like a massage parlor owned by, owned by a white family. You can have a little corner market where you wouldn't, you would never know unless you asked, but it would be locally owned. Down here in the South where it's mostly black people, no, we don't own, we don't locally own anything. <laughs> uh, we have Kroger that's, it's owned by the chain. McDonald's is most likely owned by somebody who is not black. All We have all these different avenues of spending that it just goes right out. I mean, it just goes right out the, the community. And it's, I wouldn't say it's it's the reason why, but education wise and, and how we don't know what we're doing with our money and we don't we don't think long term, that's an issue in itself that causes the disparity. 
But that's not the only thing. Just systematically, it's almost impossible for that money to stay in, in the communities and uphold, unless we're paying taxes. <laughs> taxes is probably the only thing that really stays in the black community. So for, for somebody out there who's not listening, who who's hearing that and going, so what? What's the big deal? Why does it matter if, if a dollar stays in, in the community for 13 minutes or three weeks or a month? How does that impact you and your society? What what specifically, if you can, I mean, if you can't, then by all means, tell me, I don't, I don't know. But what specifically is the reason why that is such an important thing, especially in, in a community like the black community or Latino community or any of those? Uh, let's start with ownership. If we're, if we're spending more money in businesses that are not owned by us, then obviously we're not growing our own businesses, right? So that means that other companies like will buy this apartment complex or something, or will buy, they'll buy a lot and put a freaking Burger King there and somebody won't build a uh, their own locally grown food market or something. I mean, these things bring in so much, I guess, worth to the black community. I mean, I'll just give a scenario. If I'm renting out this this building, right? All of my money is going into rent. It's not going towards anything else. The interest rate is the interest rate on that on that land, that plot of land. I mean, I don't I don't even know what it is. It doesn't matter to me because I'm renting, right? I, I don't know where that money's going. I don't know what's what's happening. So all I know is whoever's paying the property tax on that, that's probably going towards the schools, right? But if we're all renting apartments. And no one is buying homes. These homes are just sitting there. They're probably abandoned. Someone's renting the homes out. I mean, where does that, how does that grow our local economy? It doesn't. It just, at all, like whatsoever. I mean, if everyone's renting, if if no one's owning anything, I mean, what are we doing? That's just money that's just getting, being thrown out the window. In the white community, where does money go? Usually go towards when people are owning anything, schools, government facilities, roads. It just makes everything look better. <laughs> like if you go towards a black community, you'll see, I mean, have you been down Cleveland Avenue or East Point? It just looks horrible. I have. Yep. I used to have a way back in the day. It's been probably 10, 15 years now, but I used to have a practice studio when I was in a band up on Cleveland Avenue. And I remember back, even back then, it was not a really nice place to be as far as, as the level of cleanliness and, and whatnot. It was it was pretty run down even then. Yeah. And there's apartment complexes everywhere. I mean, for yeah. each apartment building, not unit, there could be like 20 units per building. You're only paying property taxes on that one building. And where does property tax for go towards the schools? <laughs> I mean, think about it. If you have a hundred homes, all that, all those taxes are going into school. So the school systems are probably doing doing well. If you got a hundred homes per block, but if you have a, a hundred apartment complexes per block, <laughs> you know, it's not much money, you know, going into the community. I mean, there's a that just creates another another step back for us, education wise. Uh, no one wants to move there. No one wants to buy any any of the homes there because it just looks horrible. So what do we do now? That's a very interesting point. I have never thought about it that way, but 
yeah, mo- most of those areas are all yeah. apartments. Rundown apartments at that. So whoever owns them is not even keeping up with it. I mean, we can't say that they're cheap apartments. If you look at, if you look them up, they're still expensive. <laughs> like, they're not cheap. You have to have two jobs to, or you have to have two jobs or a two-person household and work definitely more than 40 hours a week to pay that rent. I mean, it's just, it's what it is. I never, I guess it's just because it's never crossed my mind, but I, I never put together the fact that you can have a hundred people living in, in one apartment and it's their property tax is only being paid for, for one building versus homes. You've got a hundred homes, a hundred people, all that extra money going into the school system. That, that makes a lot of sense as far as the difference between like a predominantly white neighborhood school and whatnot versus a predominantly black apartment living community and the differences in the, in the school systems and the education and the people they can attract to the community and the businesses that they can attract to the community. And that goes back to why we had HBCUs. We couldn't rely on public education. We just couldn't. It was just one of those things where you would have this one school that the city would build and it would be overpopulated. I mean, like I just said, you could have a hundred people in one apartment building, you know, all of them have to go to one school. They're in the same district. So when we had these HBCUs way back when, you know, that was like a safe haven. It was for, for one safe from, from racism. Cause it was just crazy back then. And for two, um, tutoring services. Uh, I mean, imagine being a teacher and your classes, your class has 50 kids that are most likely latchkey kids. I don't know if you know what a latchkey kid is. Vaguely familiar with the term. I'm not 100% certain what it is. It's, it's simple. It's a kid that typically has to take care of themselves when they get out of school because their parents work long hours. So they would have latchkey. And then by the time they get home, they have their own key, get into the house. They don't have anybody waiting for them at the bus stop. They don't have anybody to pick them up from school. They just get on the bus, go home, cook for themselves. Usually the oldest will put the rest of the kids to sleep and so on and so on, keep the day going. So, I mean, imagine all these kids that don't have any parental guidance because their parents have to work God knows how many hours to pay the bills. It just creates a a domino effect. I don't know the exact statistic off the top of my head. I wish I did. I should have done a little bit of research before this, but I know it's it's a fairly high percentage of black families that are, are single parent. Does that not play into that? And for that matter, how does that affect that? And why should somebody who is who wants to argue that white privilege isn't a thing, right? This this isn't in a thing. This is something they brought on themselves because They've grown up in a generation of of single parent families, dads going out and leaving the kids and has multiple wives and girlfriends and and doesn't want to take care of the family. Why am why is that then my responsibility as the white male to worry about that? They've built that they've built that land themselves. They've built that curse on themselves, I guess, for lack of a better term. Where is the benefit that I'm going to gain from caring about that? Well, that in itself is a false narrative. There's 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 way more context to that. I guess where we could start is just the term white privilege. I want to be clear that white privilege or having white privilege or acknowledging white privilege is not does not mean you're racist or anything. It's 
it just sure. it's just a term that just describes the advantages that white people have. Let's just break it down, right? So white privilege is created through racism. Racism, systematic racism is is a structure that creates kind of a disproportioned it creates a barrier, right? Through through certain processes that are carried through organizations like uh, government, education, businesses. It's where the society was, society kind of built itself around keeping somebody oppressed and another person up. Are you familiar with the Black Codes? I am not. When slavery was abolished in the in the South, I think it took like eight years for it to be abolished in the South, especially in Texas. They just never told the slaves they were free. <laughs> the slaves wow. just kind of stayed slaves. Yeah, that's why we have Juneteenth. Government, well, local government started things called the Black Codes, where Black people couldn't be out at a certain time. Um, they had to be home at a certain time. They couldn't be in certain areas. They couldn't work certain jobs. A lot of these laws are still around, like loitering. Loitering was was one of them. Loitering was when you couldn't stand in a corner. You know, you couldn't stand here. If I don't know if you've ever seen this. I used to see this all the time. I used to work at Home Depot way back in the day for college. And it used to be a lot of Hispanics, like standing outside of Home Depot. To somebody who's not from that area, they'd be like, what the hell is going on? But everyone that lived there knew they were looking for work. And people would ride up and say, hey, I need my house painted. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And get in the car and go paint someone's house and come back. You know, that's how they would get paid. They were illegal immigrants. That's how they get paid. Um, They couldn't find a job. And a lot of them didn't speak English. But that type of behavior started with black people. Uh, We were those laborers. We were we were laborers. We were we were doing all the hard work. We were in construction, building houses, building railroads. I mean, anything you can imagine, that was us. We couldn't we didn't have access to. We didn't have the normal access you you could have to be a lawyer, doctor, and all that other stuff. We were oppressed. We all know this. Uh, it's just history. But what happens when black codes, you know, result in jail time? Because that's what they did. They weren't just here. You get a fine. You get a ticket. You got locked up, and you got put in prisons that are mostly private prisons. So. Who were the ones mostly doing this manual labor? Black men. So now you have black men being taken off the street because they're trying to work. Um, these black codes, I mean, the curfews could be crazy. It could be like five o'clock. Five o'clock, I'm probably just getting off, you know? And I'm walking down the street and I get thrown in a cop car because I'm not supposed to be here. What if I'm what if I'm doing some manual labor on, you know, a white man's house in a white neighborhood? And you know what I'm saying? It's just, it was, it was like setups to, and it just, it just wasn't fair. And so I'm getting thrown in these private prisons. I never come back home because I'm in, I'm in a private prison now. Who knows when I'm getting out? I definitely can't afford a bail. I ain't calling nobody because they not letting me call anybody, (laughs) you know? Uh So now I'm the man in the house and I'm not coming home and my, and my wife has to pick up the slack because she doesn't know where I'm at. Or she assumes that I'm either dead or in jail. Somehow this translated into the narrative that black fathers just don't want to be dads, when in reality, they didn't have dads to show them how to be that how to be dads. A lot of dads were in prison. I don't have to spit the statistic out, but we all know that 
it's mostly black men in prison than white and any other minority. We just get chipped there. How can you teach your son how to be a dad, how to be present, how to be, I want to say, emotionally present for your children, physically present for your children? How do you teach them to have that empathy, that sympathy towards a child when they don't even know how to deal with their own problems? They're still, they're lost. They're trying to figure themselves out. It's just way more context that goes behind someone not wanting to be in their child's life. When in reality, it started somewhere. And we can't say that we created it. Now, what we can say is that we can ask the question, are we doing enough to change it? That's the mm-hmm. real question. We never created it. Let's explore that yeah. for a minute. I know you're you're in Georgia, yeah. too. I've been reading a lot about the decriminalization of all the different counties on marijuana. Yeah. It's crazy to me, and I've been hearing story after story after story about this, how if if a black man is walking down the street in a county or in a city, because it's it's city ordinances now that are decriminalizing. Yeah. But if I'm a black man and I'm walking down a, a street in a city and I get caught with whatever it is amount of marijuana, there's a high probability that I'm going to be taken out of that city where it's been decriminalized, taken into a place where it's now still criminalized, where I can go to jail for it and have to deal with the repercussions of that. Whereas in, in the white community, it's just, hey, you've got to pay this ticket because you've got less than an ounce of marijuana. It's probably, it's like 75 bucks in most yeah. cities. And and it, that's going on now. That's, that's literally happening in the state of Georgia. Now I can't even tell you how many stories I have read where that's been the case. What can we do? You and I, everybody, how can we combat this? How can we get rid of, of the, or at least attempt to get rid of this stigma attached? Cause I agree with you. I think white privilege isn't necessarily something that we have to look at as, oh, well, you're racist because you acknowledge that you have white privilege or you're whatever, right? I think we can take the stigma out of that and now challenge it and challenge the laws and and the things that are going on that are causing these issues, like you said, where, where black men aren't necessarily not wanting to be parents or fathers, but they can't be because the laws are being used against them to keep them in jail or to put them in jail or whatever you want to call it. How do we challenge that? I was having a conversation about this with my wife. One thing I've realized that, I don't know, maybe it's just age or I'm sure everyone knows this, but getting involved with local leadership, local elections. Oh my gosh. Just that's a world that I've never explored. I was listening to the daily And they were talking about the Trump impeachment inquiry. And a lot of state representatives went back home after they all met in Washington. They had to speak to their constituents. And I was like, the hell is a constituent? (laughs) I've never heard that word. (laughs) And no, I legit have never heard anyone in my life use that. And I've probably been around some of the smartest people. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, "What what the heck is a constituent? But it's just party support? I don't know, but they were just regular average Joes damn near cursing out these <laughs> these local state representatives about this, this inquiry. And I'm like, I have never heard of anybody going to speak to any type of elected official about the president, but this is normal to people. And I'm going to be honest with you, where I'm from, Black people don't do that. We don't have time for that. We complain about it, 
But going to the courthouse to talk to some state official, like I've been taught, I ain't I ain't going there. No courthouse, never. There's too many police over there. Something could happen. It's just it's just real. Yeah. I mean, you can get you can get charged and thrown in the back of a car for damn near anything. You don't know. It's almost like what did I do? I, I probably did something. Let me stay away. But. Yeah, we just don't get involved. And uh, I think that we should definitely get more involved and press more issues. That's how work gets done. If these politicians that are passing these state laws, because it's at a state level. I mean, the federal government is going to leave it at a state level, especially marijuana. Um, New York decriminalized it. We just have to keep pressing these same issues. I mean, if they keep hearing the same issue over and over and over and over again, I mean, eventually they're going to say, okay, you all are right. The, st- the statistics are, are right in front of me. Let's do something about it. And something and changes will be made. And nobody's I, I haven't heard any anybody marching for, you know, the decriminalization of marijuana down Peachtree Street. <laughs> uh, that was climate change. <laughs> you know, uh, yep. it was a lot of them out there. I, I, it was right outside my office building. I walked out and it was I recorded it, too. But I'm thinking in my head is so many other things that we could be marching about that affect me, my cousins, my parents' parents. You said something that I thought, and maybe it's from my own very narrow worldview, but I thought had been kind of done away with. And that was the idea that in the black community, you need to be fearful of police. I know in the 80s and 90s, that was a thing. We've all seen the the NWA documentary film. We've all seen the Rodney King stuff. I I thought in my, and again, this is probably my narrow view, but I I thought a lot of that had kind of gone away where you didn't have to be afraid of being pulled over and being arrested for no other reason than just because you're black. And has that not gone away? Is that still out there? No, it's something that black people are taught every day. Perfect example. You know, like when your parents, parents typically have like that conversation between each other. When are we going to talk to our kids about sex? Black parents have that moment. They say, okay, when are we going to talk to him about the police? Or when are we going to talk to her about the police? Like I remember when my parents sat me down and had that conversation with me. It's a big phobia in the black community of police. I'll never forget, I got my license and my dad sat me down and told me about the police. He told me what to do when a, a police officer pulls you over, you know, keep your hands visible, don't move, don't reach for anything. And always, if either, if, if they ask you to get your license and registration, then do it. Don't try to assume they're gonna ask you, just wait until they ask, don't move. Don't even, don't even get it out just to think that you're one step ahead of them because you could get shot. It's a big fear. Uh, my dad, his his father was killed by a police officer. It was brutally, actually. My granddad's throat was slit by a police officer. Wow. Yeah, in Detroit, Michigan. And my grandmother was still pregnant with my father. And that turned my grandmother's world upside down. Um, she lost the man of her children. She had seven kids. She lost, that was her. He was a... He was a business owner. He owned a gas station. Um, he was getting ready to buy this apartment complex, like an entire unit. I mean, an entire building. He was murdered by the police. There was no police report, no nothing. I can see how that would cause a, a tremendous phobia and fear of, of police in the community. Yeah. It makes it's, sense. It's That's just crazy. not talked about. Um, and it's just not being recorded. That's the thing. That's why it's so big, because 
we didn't record the police acting out. Now we do. We record it. It's out there. I mean, you see it. It's just about, you know, how do we prove that this black man didn't do anything? Because <laughs> that's the question. Well, what did he do? That's just how everyone looks at it. It's a, it's like the boogeyman, honestly. It's just always been like that. Everyone I know has viewed them, viewed police like that. I mean, we where I grew up, you know, you don't have a relationship with police. You see them and you just look away, you keep moving. It's, it's like the mob. It's terrifying. I got three kids. My oldest is eight. And we're very adamant about teaching her that if you're in trouble, you go to the police. If you see an officer... He's probably not there to bother you or harass you. He's, he's a nice person. He's going to help you. He's going to do whatever he can to, to make things better for you if you have an issue. That's, that's not the narrative that gets, gets taught in, in the black community. No, police, the police will harass you. <laughs> I mean, that's just from my uh, experience. I've been harassed, asked weird questions like, what are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be in school? Like, dude, it's five o'clock. It's just strange, you know. I mean, I've I remember it was the beginning of summer vacation. Me and my friends was just walking, eleven in the morning. I guess this police officer thought that we were supposed to be in school, but we kept telling him the school's out. He stopped us and just and asked us a billion and one questions. And then another police officer showed up, and it was a woman, and she searched us. She made us take our socks off. It was weird. They were looking for something. Another officer came. They spoke to them. And I guess the officer was like, yeah, they're supposed to be in school. Leave them alone. And they just left us. <laughs> they just told us to put our shoes and socks back on and just left us. But And then we walked away like it was nothing. And it, it, it took me a while, you know, as I got older to realize that wasn't normal. But I normalized it when I was a kid. And I'm 26. As I got older and started to get into African-American studies and, and kind of started to read and do my own research on you know, the past and why we are here. Cause I've had questions too, you know, why is the black community like this? Why, why do we do these things? But we're in a transition phase. That's just taking a long time. Stuff like that still exists and it doesn't help at all. At all. I got to ask, cause I'm curious. Cause I was talking to my, my little sister about this topic and she brought up an interesting point that my brother-in-law had to deal with. He's got a master's in psychology. He had a hard time finding a job because of the laws where, I don't know if they're still laws, but he's, they seem to think they are that, that you have to have a certain number of minorities. You have to have a certain number of women. You have to have a certain number of, of everything. And he's a blonde haired, blue eyed, white kid he was losing out jobs to people who were less qualified than him because they fit the the bill for the minority quota that they had to have. What, what do we say? And I I've heard this so much talking to people about this topic. I, I've brought it up to a lot of people prior to this recording and everybody has the same opinion and has had the same thing. And it's all been white people I've talked to. It, it's always been, well, I don't see how I have white privilege when they can get a job over me faster because of the minority status and the laws that are in place and, and everything else that's there. And I grew up in a poor neighborhood. I didn't have everything that I needed growing up. I, yeah. why, where's my privilege at? Where's my, my advantages for being white? <laughs> I, I know before you all send me hate mail, I know that that's an ignorant statement. It's not make. ignorant. I'm not making that statement. Nah. It's not. <laughs> I, well, I think there's a little, uh, some level of ignorance to it. It's not ignorant because, like I said, I've been, I've just been studying this for a while, at least four years now, trying to educate myself on history. And one thing I've realized that I think no one speaks about is that poor white people don't have any representation at all. 
Nobody cares. Through politics, nobody cares. Every time we look at who's running for president or who's running for some type of state chair, no one's really thinking about the poor white people. They try to make it seem like they, they are by saying, you know, we just need more jobs, but all they do is create more low paying jobs. <laughs> there really aren't any institutes that, that help poor white people besides the same things that black people use when it comes to government aid, food stamps, Medicaid, stuff like that. Poor people just don't have representation. They don't, poor white people don't have white people looking out for them like that. They typically go after the people that you would assume need help, which is black people, minorities. So when you have um, some type of uh, structure created, but um, when you have something like that created, no one's thinking about the poor white kid that literally had to fight through their social discourse to become something great. It's hard for them too. Just because it's twice as hard for a black man doesn't mean it should be twice as hard for a white man either. I mean, it should be equal. That does kind of create this gap in fairness when you have someone going through that in particular. And psychology is a hard thing to... It's one of those things you have to just start a private practice. <laughs> That's I'm trying to convince him of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you just have to. Like I know a lot of people that go for psychology and just... Now I go to the restaurant they work at. <laughs> like, it's, I believe it. Yeah, white people just don't have the representation like you think they would. Uh, middle class white people have great representation. Poor, below, that semi-middle class, nah, they don't have anybody. I struggle to bring this up. I think it falls in line with what you're talking about a little bit. I kind of want to dive into and touch on a little bit of the movement. I, I think it's still going on, the, the Black Lives Matters movement. Is, is that what you're talking about as far as, as the black community trying to gain better representation or visibility or, or whatever? Yeah. Like you said, visibility. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement is strictly to remind people that we are humans. We're not these predators. We're not animals. We're not three-fifths of a man like we used to be called. Mm -hmm. We're human and we need to be treated as such. It's like a counter group, a movement called All Lives Matter, which is strange. Yeah, It's looked at as like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah, we know that. That's what we're trying to say. But we're seeing specifically Black people lives do matter. It's a statement per se. It's not saying we're the only ones that matter. It's a statement. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And in circles that I run with, it's always white lives matter too and all lives matter like you said all lives matter and it's like i've heard so many people i used to teach a, a class here in georgia for the the family violence program and yeah. it was crazy the number of of african-american men who had come through that class and I, I quit teaching about a yeah about a year maybe 18 months ago now it was always kind of the same narrative that they would go through we had a big blow up argument one time in the middle of class that I, I was legitimately scared for my, myself. <laughs> one of the, the black guys in the class brought up the, the Black Lives Matter movement. The dude that answered the question was just like the most racist human being on the planet. I can't I can't put it any other way than that. He was a terrible human. Wow. He brought it up. He's like, well, that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. White lives matter, too. Why should you be more special than me? And I mean, it, it literally I had to break up a fist fight because they got into that much wow. of a, a heated debate over it. I would love to know how we can change that narrative because it seems like it's almost become an offensive thing when somebody says it now where 
black lives, if you say, especially if you say in a white community, black lives matter, you're, you're looked at as, I don't, I don't know. I don't know any, I don't know how to describe it. Narcissistic. Yeah, I guess that's probably a good way to look, to put it. Explain to me, explain to my listeners why that is such an important thing for, for the black community and why that isn't necessarily or shouldn't be viewed as knocking white people or, or trying to put down that the, that they don't matter either. I don't, I don't know any of the way to explain it. And how, how do we, how do we change that narrative? Can we change that narrative? I guess. Yeah, we can. It's about understanding each other. I think what, what the average white person needs to understand is that white people have the privilege to view the world, how they want to view it. Like they get to choose just the average white person gets to choose the average black person. Doesn't we view the world through 400 years of trauma. We don't get that. That's our, our history. We, we can't go through America's history and not see slavery. We don't get that, that option. White people either, but they see a different side of it. They get to pick apart, you know, how they want to pick apart. But us, we see people that look like us being murdered, uh, raped. That's just, we view, we literally view the world through 400 years of trauma. So kind of if, if the average white person was to think about that and they hear someone say Black Lives Matter, when we say those words the that those 400 years of slavery and then after that because we're still segregated i mean our schools are the most segregated than they've ever been um you literally have schools that are predominantly black and the schools that are predominantly white and then you have the ones that had the little mixture here and there that's just how we view the world and the world hasn't changed in those aspects when it comes to the mind physically yeah it looks we we look like we're finally starting to coexist but mentally Nah, there's just a lot of trauma there. Um, it runs through our blood. So when we say Black Lives Matter, just think of it as, yeah, that's the 400 years of, of murder, rape, and the and just genocide that, that has plagued the Black community. Let that ring through your ears, too. That's what it should sound like, because that's what it sounds like to us. Yeah. It just, when we say it, you just don't relate to it. You, you hear it different. You see sure. it different. Not you in particular, but I'm just saying the average white person they they hear it and see it it just looks different to them they they can't relate to that plight it's just about education educating us we can't skip over what america was built on and a lot of and other countries were built on slavery too it's just america just obviously did it this is probably the worst <laughs> way to say, say it the right they way, probably did it, it right yeah i mean it worked for them you know they fast the youngest fastest growing country in the world yeah damn i mean they did it but someone had to suffer i remember back when the whole colin kaepernick thing started and and i i hated him i thought he was the worst piece of crap on the planet for doing what he did and i i would spout to anybody (laughs) who would listen about the bullshit that he was trying to put out there and how disrespectful it was for what he did. It took a long time. And I started researching on my own versus listening to the news media on, on the whole thing. And I found out, I don't remember where I read this at, but I found out that he, the way he did it, I I have a whole totally different respect for now because he went to another player who was a veteran and asked him, he said, how do you, how do I show? Yeah my displeasure for something, my distaste for something in a way that is still respectful to the flag and the country. And, and the veteran told him, he's like, look, the way we do it in the service 
is if we dislike something going on, but we still want to be respectful, we kneel. For a, a fallen soldier, we kneel for them during the anthem. And he went, okay, I'll, I'll do that because then I can still show my respect. I can still show that I, I care for the country and the people, but my distaste for what's going on inside the, the mask murder, for no other better term, of, of the black community. And I got to say, I've got a totally different view on it yeah. simply because I was able to educate myself on what's going on in that. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. I, I think that's what we need to, I think that's what the takeaway, in my opinion, you can hopefully give me something better than that. But I think that's what the takeaway needs to be from this. Instead of getting offended when we hear somebody tell you that you have white privilege, instead of looking at that as an offense or looking at that as, as they're trying to claim that you didn't work hard for where you got with what you got in your life. Cause I think to me, that's what the biggest thing is. When I hear somebody tell me I have white privilege, my immediate thought is, no, I don't. I've worked really hard to get to where I'm at in my life. I've spent time in school. I've worked my way up a career ladder to get to the point that I'm at in my life. And it's almost like they're taking away that hard work I've put in and just giving yeah. it to, well, you've got all that because you're a white guy. Right. And we need to take away that stigma of it. What is what is your takeaway on this? What can we do from your perspective to really challenge this and, and take it from being something offensive and hurtful and causing pain amongst everybody to something that we can come together and cooperatively work on? Exactly what you said. Um, educate ourselves. I, what I, I think really needs to happen is that college needs to start forcing people to take a humanities class an African-American humanities class and how art reflects real life in African-American community. And just, you know, you know, throw in other minority groups in there too. America is very cultured. It's multicultural. So we need to start educating our kids that way um, and not just, you know, tell them it's Taco Tuesday, appreciate Hispanics. <laughs> I think yep. that we need to make a, we need to actually make a better effort, you know, as people to, educate each other and tell each other when, you know, when we're thinking of something or taking offense to something and it should be viewed this way. Um, the racial inequality in this country, it's going to take some, it's probably not going to go away in my lifetime. It's, it's got to start in the kids, um, the youth. We got to start educating them differently, making them aware of, you know, just racial bias. Oh yeah. And also people are just sensitive. <laughs> You can't control it. Like nowadays you have to tiptoe around other people's insecurities. And if you don't, you're an asshole. It's not, it's not my job to know what you're insecure about at all. I think it's your job. To, it's your job to suppress it and try to think subjectively. I despise the fact that we can be so easily offended and, and then take that offense and think that it's our job to change the world because of it nothing's gonna happen if i get offended it's yeah. not it's not nothing will happen the, the world keeps spinning life keeps going just because yeah. you get offended by something does not mean that that now becomes your crusade or or your pill to die on it, it just doesn't it's it's bullshit in my opinion yeah yeah i mean we're insignificant really? <laughs> as, as much as we you know and that's another thing people are taught that you know you could be so important in the world and it's like you can only be important to who you're important to. You know, somewhere on the other side of the country, you could be trending on Twitter, but they're trying to eat some, they're just trying to eat some Korean barbecue. No one cares. The world doesn't care. Um, and I think that we take ourselves a little too serious and that makes everybody look narcissistic, makes them look like assholes and, or some depressed, creepy kid that just doesn't 
know how to cope with the truth of the world. Everybody has this emotional stigma that everybody should care about how you feel. It's weird. It, it really is. On a, on a side note, after watching, uh, oh, I can't think of the dude's name now. For the show we were talking about Killer earlier. Killer Mike. Where the guy. Killer Mike. Killer Mike. There you go. Yeah. After watching that. Yeah, I'll never remember that. I'm terrible with names. <laughs> but after watching that show that he, he did, because yeah. my wife literally made me sit down and watch it with her. And I, I love the message he said at the end, which was, you know, despite your race, your culture, your background, take time to invest in something from the black community. Put your dollar back into that community the most you can or the best you yeah. can. And and I got to say, October is my wife and I's favorite month. Uh, Halloween is like my Christmas. <laughs> the best horror films that have come out in the longest time, and one of them just was released, was by Jordan Peele. I don't know if anybody's seen us. We watched it last night. Holy yeah. crap. That is it's amazing. Dope. I was telling my wife the other day that all of the horror films have been the same. Yeah. He comes out with this movie that is just so drastically different from anything I've seen before. I love it. It's got so many layers. It really does. I'm usually good at predicting, <laughs> especially horror films, what's going on. And it, I was at the end, I'm going, damn, I did not see that yeah. happening. So wholeheartedly check it out, y'all. Spend your money in that in that film if specifically if you're wanting to put your money in a better community, in my opinion. Check yeah. it out. Anyway, that was my, my side note for the moment. My my soapbox, I guess, for the the episode. Whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Yeah. Definitely support that movie. And then spend two days trying to figure out what the hell it means. <laughs> <laughs> It'll take at least that long for it to fully sink in. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so layered. Um, it's, it's so much meaning behind that movie. It's a great installment, you know, for his, I don't know, whatever. He's trying to he's trying to attack the American cultural horror. I don't know. He's trying to attack America from some type of from a horror perspective, and he's using all these influences from what's wrong with America to make movies. You, you did you see Get Out? I did. That was a good one too. Yeah. He's on a roll now. He's making Candyman. Is he? Yeah, he's redoing Candyman. I did not know that. I'm going to have to definitely check that one out. Yeah, he started filming in Chicago. I'm excited for that one. So me and my wife are horror fiends. We've seen just about everything that's come out in the recent years. Um, Insidious Conjuring, that's like our thing. Yep, those yeah, those are good too. Killer Mike, where, where Killer Mike was coming from, um, just be more aware of of how you support Black people and Black people too. We have to be more socially conscious and uh, financially conscious. Um, it's just hard for Black-owned businesses to stay open. We have to charge more to keep the lights on. It just is what it is. Mm -hmm. Just pay that extra dollar. <laughs> We're just trying to come back from something that held us back. I think if we can get over the seeing the differences and start seeing the similarities, I think that will go a long, long way. I think I, I forget who I was watching, but I was watching, it wasn't Chappelle. It might've been his new comedy special on Netflix Yeah, where he was, he was talking about how it, almost identical black culture, white culture, Asian culture. If you really get down below the, the surface of it, they're all the same. It's all people struggling to make it in a world probably set against them in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. That, that's all it comes I down mean, to. I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, it's just always going to be adversity. Just got to persevere through it. Damn straight. So before we go, 
I want to give you a chance to to share with everybody. I know you've got a, a show. I listen to it. I highly recommend checking out the the one on what was it? Female female privilege? Um, no, uh, toxic femininity. It's just toxic femininity. Yeah, it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah, it's really good though. I, I I do feel bad for you in that episode, guys. But share with everybody. Share with everybody what it is, what show that is, how they can find you, because I would love for to get that out there. I think it was a great show. So I have a podcast, uh, Securely Insecure, the podcast. We really just talk about plagues of the black community. Uh, I call them insecurities of the black community, places in our in black culture that we need to step out from. Um, I actually sit down and I do real research. I take my time out. I whip out the pen and paper. Sometimes I use OneNote and do it the millennial way, but. Uh, yeah, I actually sit and write out real research. Me and my co-host, uh, Tia Roche, we uh, not only just have dialogue about it, but we dive deep and we try to figure out why, when did it start, and uh, how can we fix it? Sometimes we don't get to how we can fix it. Sometimes we ramble, but uh, I try to I try to add some comedy into it. I, I like to laugh. But um, yeah, check us out. Uh, we're everywhere, literally. Uh, Spotify, Apple. Some people call it iTunes. I call it Apple Podcasts. Probably the same thing. I thought iTunes got shut down. Spreaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere. Check us out. Yeah, I, I haven't listened to a lot of the shows of the guys, of people that have come on here, but I, I have yours. Highly recommended. It, it, it's funny. It's intriguing. You get your ass handed to you by by the women in that episode. Uh, I feel bad for you. I'm used to it. <laughs> but it, it was great. It was entertaining. Thanks, it really man. was. Thank you for coming on. I, I hope we were able to, if not dive into the philosophical end of this, at least educate, which is kind of my whole take on this show, is to educate and make people think critically yeah. about things. So I'm hoping we did that. If not, maybe it was just entertaining enough for people to listen. I don't for know. Sure. Either way, I greatly appreciate you coming on and doing this with me. Thanks, man. Appreciate you for having me. And you didn't have to. Um, I think it's a great topic, and I'm just happy that somebody's trying to, you know, has questions and they want them answered. That's always the first step. Yeah, that's that's always my goal. I, I want to be educated on everything out there, which is kind of the whole premise of the show. <laughs> Yeah, but thank you, and hopefully we can. If if I'm getting a bunch of stuff, and people want to dive deeper into this topic, and and maybe get more info on it, would you be willing to come back on again and do this again? Of course, um, I'll be a resident black man. Awesome, I'm throwing it out there to you guys. If you got questions, if you got something I didn't cover that you're like, no, he missed this because I had to deal with this, then shoot it to me. Let me know. We'll have him back on. We'll dive into your topic too and your questions too and, and do this cool. again. I'm down. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you, Robert, for being here. And we will talk to y'all again soon. All right. Peace. Okay. So there it is. Is it philosophy? Go to our website at www.isitphilosophy.com and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter and Facebook as well. Help us grow by going onto iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe. And take a moment and leave a review. Until next time, question everything, seek your truth, and don't be afraid to speak your truth.